This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education, IBME. IBME provides in-depth mindfulness programs for teens and young adults, programs that help our kids learn awareness, compassion, and concentration practices. And IBME's mindfulness practices help to develop essential skills in our kids, things such as deep listening skills, self-awareness, and communication. And now they're offering their most popular courses online again this fall. They're offering Celebration and Restoration for Communities of Color, Our Time is Now, Meditation is Support for White Anti-Racist Action, and Contemplative Climate Leadership for Youth. These courses not only teach mindfulness practices, they help teens apply them, and they also create a community for our teens to learn in and work with. You can learn more and register at ibme.com, ibme.com. Enter your email to stay updated on new course offerings, then click Fall Courses Are Here to register for any of these popular courses. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast, reminding you to go to mightyparenting.com and grab the free email series I have for you there on how to talk to your teen. There is A lot of concern right now that the pandemic is increasing rates of mental health issues and also that it's exacerbating problems for our kids who already are living with depression, anxiety, or suicide ideation or other mental health problems. And I know in my family, we have a couple members who deal with anxiety and they are definitely working harder to manage it. And I am hearing the same from other people. In our community, you guys have been asking me about ways to manage issues with your teens and young adults as you're dealing with things like them being less motivated and other types of behavioral concerns that you're seeing. Well, today's guests know teens and 20-somethings. They know the challenges our kids are facing and the mental health issues that arise from the pandemic. So they are joining us to understand how we can support our youth in today's climate. They are John McPhee and Janice Whitlock. John is the executive director and CEO of the Jed Foundation, which is a leading nonprofit that exists to protect emotional health and prevent suicide for teens and young adults. And Janice is a research scientist and the associate director for teaching and training in the Bronfenbrenner Center for Translational Research. John, Janice, thank you so much for joining us here today and welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, we're excited to talk with you. So families have been telling me, as I said in here, that you know, they are struggling with the pandemic. And I'm. it made me curious, as people are telling me these things, with the two of you, what are the most common issues that you're hearing about? And what's your biggest concern for our teens and 20-somethings? Uh, I'll start with this. Um, uh, the most common issues, I think, are feeling, det- you know, just too far away from everything that they were, that they want to be near. Friends, um, not knowing whether what the future holds, um, not being able to consistently access 
course materials in ways that allow them to learn. And that produces a degree of uncertainty that can really affect their well-being and result in anxiety and depression. That's what I'm seeing the most of. Yeah, and I, I would uh, echo, echo that and say that I think uncertainty is the, you know, is the prevailing um, uh, concern or source of anxiety. And of course, there's so many that are dealing with potentially being sick or family members being sick, um, people out of work, you know, economic or financial struggles. And when you, in your question, you asked, you know, what concerns us most, you know, this situation also is, is just inequitable in terms of how people are being impacted and what resources they can tap into. Um, and so I, I think that that's a really important concern for us to highlight. I like the word that you both used, the uncertainty, because I think that captures a lot of what I'm hearing and seeing around me. It, it almost feels like you, when you're a kid and you're standing in the middle of the teeter-totter and you know, one minute you're headed a little down to the left and then you're headed a little down to the right and it's kind of this going back and forth but never knowing yeah. which way it's like someone it's kind of like someone's dropping rocks on the ends of the teeter-totter and you just don't know which way you're going to get tossed next and it's it's pretty new for most people to navigate this kind of long-term and future-oriented uncertainty and and we as adults don't know how to, ha how to handle it so we don't really have answers or tools for our kids is kind of what i'm seeing yeah, that's, that's totally, that's very well put. I mean, I think one of the things that I think is the most novel is that a lot of young people are cut off from a sense of possibility itself. Um, and so many of them are driven at this age to figure out um, who they're going to be in the world, what they're going to do. And, you know, we've all tend to rely on some of the most basic kinds of structures <laughs> that have seemed to have exi existed forever. And now they're all at, in play. So while the, you know, the three of us have a sense of what our life is and, and where it's going or where it's been and who we are, people trying to figure that out right now are really at a severe disadvantage. Even if they had some idea. So I have one who is on that, that bridge where she's bridging college to the real world and the first real job. And I'm seeing a lot of that in here where she had expectations about what this was going to look like and how she was going to be independent and stepping out into the world. And now here she is living in her bedroom and more so because now she's working from her bedroom since she's working remotely. And I see her struggling to figure out how to be that adult in her parents' household. And I don't see her making plans for her future, which is part of where our, our joy comes from, is yeah. dreaming and thinking about possibilities and future and how we can make a difference in the world or, or move toward whatever we feel is purposeful for us. Yes, um, I, I also have uh, two young adult children, they're 25 and 23. And they're doing the same thing. They're working in their in their bedrooms. One of them actually came home, um, you know, in the in the middle of this. And and I think you're right. I mean, what I see is a sort of get through it mode or a survival mode, right? 
and you know with with the with the shadow over it of the uncertainty of not knowing when this is gonna when this is gonna end so it's really you know key when we think about how we all deal with this and what we're going to learn and, and take from it that you know one of the things is is going to be and, and hopefully will be our ability to cope and deal with uncertainty so what recommendations do you two have for coping and dealing with uncertainty because a lot of us aren't handling that well even like i said even as adults like we're we're getting through it but we're we're winging it we don't really know what good tools are for helping us to do that do you have suggestions I mean, I do. I think this is, there's some interesting opportunities in this moment. I mean, I'm trying to remember the, what the, um, what's that, the AA creed, um, you know, control what you can. What is that? God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. What, does anybody remember what that is? <laughs> as soon as you say it, we all blank at it, right? But, but the idea is to, um, is to accept what you, to change what you can, to accept what you can't, and to know the difference. And, and exactly. it's said very beautifully, and right. I will look it up and put it in the show notes so we have the nice <laughs> version of it for everybody. But, but it's that being aware of what we can and can't change and accepting what we can't and changing what we can. I think at the ground floor, that's, that's the invitation. I think a lot of people have a really hard time with that, understandably. But, you know, you know at the sort of foundation of, of being in life, there's just a lot humans have done a lot to buffer ourselves from from the reality that there's just a lot we can't control and it's rare that, that we would be in a moment like this where it seems so revealed that we that there's a lot we can't control um even the things we took for granted so for the people who are who are sort of capable of moving into that and exploring that i think this can be a time of you know a rich time in terms of developing really important and useful resilient skills but all of us are going to need to also focus on the pieces that we can control and the, the resources that we can leverage and the ways that we can help other people do the same and and there's a lot there there's i mean it's been really impressive to me how many individuals and institutions and organizations have stepped up to to give in the ways that they can give and to guide and to support and i'm vastly thankful for the technology we have because it really will help people who need connection to maintain connection. All of us, we all need connection, but the people who really need it in order to, to be able to be okay every day. So when it comes to resources, where should we look? You mentioned there are organizations and John, I know Jed Foundation puts out lots of resources. What would you two recommend in terms of where parents can go for resources for our kids or ourselves? Yeah, so starting with uh, the Jed Foundation, um, I'll point listeners to two places. One is a resource center at, called Love Is Louder, and it's at loveislouder.com. And it is a resource center with recommendations for how you can take care of yourself and stay connected um, during COVID. So it's very COVID-specific. Uh, and the other is at jedfoundation.org. We have a COVID resource um, center with specific information for families and parents and for students and for educators. Okay, so there's the COVID resource center. How do we know if our kids 
aren't really handling this well, that what's happening and this added stress is actually causing mental health concerns or issues? How would parents know that? That's a great question. I mean, I think the the first thing a parent needs to know is you really need to trust your instincts. You, you know your child, um, even if they're not in the house with you. I know I'm, I'm also a parent of young adult children, and I listen really carefully to the tone in their voice because neither of them are here right now. They're both at their colleges, actually. Um, tone in their voice, the tone of their voice, the things that they're sharing with me, the way they talk about their life, and I'm looking for. Um, consistent negative thinking or down or anxious emotions. I'm, I'm asking them about how they're engaging with people, friends and other people. Are they, do they tell me they're missing classes a lot? Are they saying they're having a hard time getting out of bed or doing anything? Um, are they um, talking in pretty consistently negative ways? Those are the things that I notice for my children. There are a number of, of symptoms. It's basically any kind of clear disruption in your sense of your child's well-being and movement in the world and engagement in the world. So you use the so big changes that we see in our kids, but you also use the word consistent. Could you expand on that a little bit? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, I think probably all of us, especially during this time, have had days that are that are off or even a couple of days here and there. I don't know anybody personally, adult or young, who isn't finding this time intense and um, like they're needing to bring more resources to bear. It's when that, that sense of offness, that disruption, the um, sense of being anxious or depressed is, is persistent over, you know, over weeks, a week, two weeks, three weeks. That's when then parents really need to think about whether they need to bring some more resources to bear or, or um, help to get their child some consistent support. Yeah. And I, I'll just echo what Janice said earlier too, about, you know, uh, your, your own instincts. I mean, if you're uncertain, but you have an instinct that something is, is wrong or something's troubling your child or a teen or young adult, you know, um, then the best advice is to act on that and, and to check in with them and, and, and ask how they're doing make an expression of concern. And what if they say, I'm fine? You know, we get, we get that I'm fine, that tone of voice, that sharpness that clearly says they're not fine. I mean, as a parent, I think every parent has their approach to this and they know how they're, you know, sort of the back doors and the side doors to their, their children. Um, you know, if, I think for me, authenticity and being direct is usually the best approach. So I might say to my child, I can hear from the sound of your voice and the fact that you're you're not really answering the question. And I've noticed that that you're having a hard time staying engaged, that you're sleeping a lot more, whatever it is that you've noticed. Um, and th that it makes me concerned and I wanna talk more. And if you don't wanna talk, that's okay. But I think we need to think about getting some additional support, for example. In general, I think every parent is going to have to keep do whatever it is they know they can do to keep the door open to conversation. Or, and it may not be that's the right time, but you want to come back around in a number of hours or a day or two and, and reopen that door. Just don't give up. If, you, if your gut is telling you there's something on uh, going on, then, then keep trying to, to open the door and or 
provide additional support in sideways ways, like engaging them in, in more things around the house or making spending more time with them doing other things. It doesn't have to be a direct remedy to like, you're depressed and this is what we're going to do. It can just be an, uh, uh, um, an effort to stay connected in a, in a, in new ways. I like what you said there, Janice, in that this isn't necessarily going to be resolved in this moment that we can, we can let that, that first time go and we can come back around and have the conversation another time. I think sometimes as parents, we feel like we have to fix this right now. Mm -hmm. And especially when it comes to, um, mental health and behavioral health issues, when a family isn't familiar with that, if it's something they haven't dealt with before, that when you don't know what to do as a parent, you can feel like, oh my goodness, you know, like I really, I have to fix this. I have to fix it for my child and I have to fix it right now. So your advice of going, just keep coming around and this does not have to be some big monumental fix. Just start connecting a little bit more, drawing them in more. And I like that idea. And I'm also hearing from my community, a lot of parents are struggling with their teens or 20 somethings being more distant and more unmotivated. Like it's just getting them to come out of their room or put down a screen or to do a family activity is something that the kids just haven't been really receptive to. And I wonder if you have insights as to why that is so we can kind of work around to okay, if we understand why they're doing it, then maybe we can help them move through it. I, I mean, yeah, I, I think um, we're all getting into this groove where devices is, is definitely go-to. I think there's a lot of intensity and the human response to intensity is often to kind of withdraw. So there's really nothing about anything you described that I would say is kind of an unnatural reaction to the, to the oddness of this time. Um, but I definitely recognize and experienced when my kids were here over last spring and the fall, I mean, uh, summer, that, that you know, the same thing. And um, I, I, I did two things. One is I let them know that, that it's normal. But I said, we have to have agreements. You know, we're all in this house together. And it, it's unnerving to me that you're spending so much time alone and on your device. So let's, let's talk about what we can do as a family, not, not just to pull you out, but so to assure that we all are, are staying connected that we're all not being on our devices too much. And we, we agreed, you know, we had some agreements about how many um, times a week we would eat together and we'd, we'd spend some time with each other talking a little bit every day. I mean, every family is going to be different, but crafting it as um, a legitimate feeling a legitimate reaction to the moment and then let's work together to come up with stuff that works for us worked at least for my family and may work for others. Yeah. And, and I would add as parents, I think you know, this is obviously a very difficult time. Um, but we need to also sort of pay attention to how we are showing up, you know, and are we withdrawing or are we engaging or we, you know, making some space for some fun and joy, um, you know, creating formats that can engage our, our children, you know, whether it's cooking or, or, you know, uh, watching a, a new TV series or, you know, biking or walking, these kinds of things. So I think there's, I think there's ways that we can sort of model and, and, and try to be a magnet that, you know, at least a little bit pulls them out. 
I think, I mean, I'm just going to say that's a, such a great comment, John, because the, the modeling piece is big. I think we tend to focus on our kids without really noticing that sometimes I'll speak for myself, that I'm doing the very same thing. And it's like, okay, I got to work my way out of, out of this. And I need to think creatively about how to pull my kids out. So, you know, we, this is how the whole idea of kittens came about is we decided to foster kittens um, because we needed a family project. And then uh, we, we talked about refinishing a table together. And I put a bunch of puzzles and other things out on a, a mandala coloring book out on the table just so they were available. And I noticed that people did sit down and, you know, put a few puzzle pieces in or start coloring in the mandala color book while we were making dinner. It just, uh, it really did ask me, uh, and I think it does ask us, to, to both pay attention to ourselves and then also to think out of the box a bit. Yes, on uh, our September 14th episode, Kanisha Brainerd talked about that same idea that you mentioned, John, with making space for fun and joy. And yes. Janice, you mentioned, you know, putting puzzles out, putting mandals, and she talked about putting out a craft table. And she also talked in there about agreements and how that can work. And I love that idea because it's not a top-down strategy, which doesn't work with teenagers anyway, or most of us, we don't want to be told what to do. So the idea of going, hey, how can we do this as a family? And Janice, we fell into the same situation. We didn't choose to let an animal pull us together. Um, We ended up in the beginning of September unexpectedly adopting a shelter dog who was 12 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And so it turned into this family project because we had to get the house ready for this old dog. He showed up and suddenly he couldn't walk around our house because it's all wood floors and it's slippery. And it just... It did. It drew us out of that isolation that you talked about. Um, John, you talked about how we tend to scatter. And all of a sudden, everybody's in the living room because that's where the dog is. And we're going for more walks together. And just being together in the same space and then also having that focus that is not on a screen. And screens have a wonderful purpose in our lives. But one of the things I had also noticed this year is I looked around one day, I was like, it's really interesting. You can all be in the same room and there's no connection because we're not really in the room. We're in the place that the screen took our brain. At least when we were kids, at least when I was a kid and I was growing up, if everyone was watching TV, we were all watching the same thing. So there was still some connection around that. And you'd end up talking about it or laughing about it or crying together over it. And so that, that coming together and having um, kind of a, just a central focus is such a, a gentle strategy, but so effective for, for a family to, to have that time together. Yes. And, and if I could, you know, jump in and, and, and suggest also that, well, this concept of connections and, and, and finding ways to foster connections is so critical, right? Um, to our mental health, uh, the extent to which we feel connected to others. And I think there's an opportunity here for teens and young adults to be help givers with regard to the older um, people in their lives. If they're fortunate enough to still have grandparents or great aunts, great uncles, you know, there's a, there's a real strength um, and mutually beneficial relationship that can happen between the teen and the young adults and their o- older loved one as they check in with each other during, you know, during this time. 
um, I think can be a very powerful and, and, um, and, and healthy connection um, for them. It goes back to that idea too of having some purpose. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head because my listeners know we pre-record and I can't, I think Tim Klein's episode comes out before this one. He talked about what purpose does for our youth and even something that feels tiny to us, like connecting with a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, or a neighbor, helping a neighbor with something, whatever gives them some purpose. And we all really do. We need that. We need that very much. Yes. I'm really glad you said that because so often we think about, you know, giving to our kids or, or to young people in our world and, you know, as though it's a unidirectional, it goes from me to them, you know, they need, I need to shower them with care and love. But one of the things I've discovered in, in the course of time that I'm a developmental, I'm a psychological, I'm a, I'm a developmental psychologist, part of what, I, what I've learned is that a huge part of what makes, allows human to grow um, healthily is that they have a sense of utility and meaning that they're that they're giving back in some way that what they give is valued and it doesn't have to be big it can be small it can be somebody's counting on me to bring this thing over you know to their house regularly as whether it's a meal or or to go help them with their lawn or just or just to check in because they're lonely so that there's some opportunity for them to to provide some service um, is really important and it's protective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so we, we've talked about some of the protective things. We're talking about things to help us cope and connect. And our kids can be, they can end up past that point. Maybe we have a child who was already struggling with some mental health issues. And as I said, I have two in my household. We have an adult and a young adult who struggle with anxiety. And all of this COVID has definitely raised the bar on that. So if we have someone who maybe we have a child who we didn't know had mental health issues before or and is showing new signs or one who had some, but they had tools and they were coping and now they don't seem to be coping. Are there, are there tools and resources through the schools, through the universities that they can still tap into? You know, in this COVID world, again, they're not in the buildings. They're not on the, well, some are on campuses, but many aren't on the campuses. Can we reach out through those organizations and things, or is there something else that we should be looking at doing? Yeah, there are, there are a few things. First, if, if the teen or young adult um, is a student, a school, a high school, a college, um, then going to that school and understanding the mental health resources they have available and how they've adapted to COVID is, is very important. And, and most have made their services available virtually. Um, so I would say that that's the first place to go. And I would even suggest um, that the student and the family um, understand those resources that are available to school before they may be needed, right? Just so that there's a familiarity and understanding of exactly how to uh, access the resources at the school. Um, there are also national uh, resources. Uh, there's something called Crisis Text Line, which is a 24-7 uh, text service where you can text with a trained um, counselor um, if you feel that you're in distress or crisis for any reason. That's something we believe that all young people should know about and have on their phone. Um, it's 741-741. That's what you text in order to start the conversation with a counselor. Um, and then there's a national 
telephone line, a, a crisis line as well called, uh, well, that is 1-800-273-TALK. Yeah, and we'll we'll put those in the show notes. They're amazing resources. We've mentioned them on the show before. So longtime listeners, yes, you are hearing about the same lines again because they're incredible resources that are there for anyone who needs that. So we will definitely have that in the show notes. John, I believe it was in um, our pre-show back and forth that you mentioned the idea that there are changes in the structure of high school and college, of course, with the pandemic, and that that structure can impact mental health. Could you address that? Um, Yeah, to make sure that I understand the question. So talking about the changes that have now happened because of the pandemic as it relates to school. Correct. The Uh, idea of remote learning. Oh, yeah. Maybe being on campus or in school, but everything is topsy-turvy. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of changes and these changes, uh, you know, are creating pressures and, and stress uh, on students. So for those students that ha- are, have gone back to campus, right, many of those schools are making sure that students are in singles. And so they're alone and they're asking them to stay physically distanced and they're uh, having classes in gymnasiums and other places where you can really be spaced out. So it's a it's potentially a much more isolating experience than it was before. Um, and there's a lot of pressure on students to follow the rules and not spread COVID. Um, you know, that's, that's very, that's very taxing. Um, and then for those students who uh, are doing remote learning um, and are home, uh, of course they're disconnected from the school and at home, it's not the easiest thing necessarily to, to be able to learn remotely. That um, everyone has different access to Wi-Fi, to computers, to space, um, et cetera. So it's, as I said before, it's quite inequitable in terms of what the experience, um, what the experience is like. Uh, so it's a lot. And, and this is a time, right, uh, where young people are looking forward to meeting new people, building their networks, forming new social connections. And, and this is uh, significantly interfering with that. Um, so it's a, lot to, it's a lot to process and deal with. So what can we do to help with the isolation? There's a lot of conversation in parent communities. Do you let your teens see their friends? How are you handling it? It's because we want to be responsible and safe. And we've also talked about how these changes in this isolation is also a health impact on our kids. So what can we do to minimize effects of that isolation or to, to get them out of isolation? Well, to some degree, we've been talking about, about some of the things that we could do, just checking in and building in more time and opportunities to interact in different ways. And to the degree that parents can encourage or support their kids seeing friends in ways that are, that are responsible and safe, then um, especially now that the weather while the weather is still all right, then that's not a, a bad way to go. I mean, we're humans are really social creatures and we really do need to have that connection. Um, and then encouraging, you know, especially if you notice your child withdrawing from, from friends, then, then there might need to be some candid conversations or, um, you know, sort of more overt encouragement to, to, to connect. And I remember when my son was here, he 
I asked him, I noticed he wasn't really interacting with his friends from college when he came home in the spring. And he said, you know, I just don't like to do that on the computer. And um, so we had a little bit of back and forth about that. And he eventually tried Zoom with his friends. And that was a boon. Um, he didn't think, you know, Zoom was something that you, that older people did, not his his generation or his friends. Um, but it really made a difference. And he, they set up a weekly call with each other. And I listened to him laugh and interact. And I don't think it it completely remedied everything, but it, it definitely made a difference. Well, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? A, a little bit yeah. helps, even if but, it doesn't satisfy the entire urge. It's like, if you're really, really hungry and you can only get a small snack, okay, yes, you still want a meal, but that snack was enough to keep you going until you get to a point where you can get a meal. And I think it's a little bit the same with this social isol isolation is that it may not be exactly what you want in that moment or even what you fully need in that moment, but it's, it's something to, to help keep us going and moving forward. Exactly. And the other thing that's important here is I think we need to really remind our, ourselves and our young people that this isn't, this isn't going to last forever. I mean, um, this isn't, uh, you know, new and unusual uncertainty that's going to go on indefinitely. I can sometimes feel that way, but the reality is it, it really won't. It, you know, probably within some number of months, um, certainly maximum a year, we will be in a different place. We'll probably be able to socialize again. There'll be a vaccine. Maybe there'll be a modicum of more sanity in the world in other ways. So it's not going to last forever. It's much easier to, to have that, that snack really be effective in taking the edge off if you know that a meal is coming. So just being able to, to mm, let them know and remind them that we just need to hang in here and do the best we can for a while can help. And pulling together a couple of different pieces that you have mentioned today, you guys mentioned opportunities, you mentioned networks. And so I'm thinking that, yes, we can help them to connect with their friends. And, and I like that story, Janice, about actually kind of really seriously encouraging and, and helping them see that you can try this, not just a, a casual comment and let it go, but actually get in there. They might need a little bit more assistance in getting something like the Zoom meeting with their friends going. But this idea of opportunities and networks, that maybe this is an opportunity to grow a different network, that this is an opportunity to, to strengthen those relationships with older family members and neighbors or just people who have maybe been um, a little bit more on the peripheral of our life. They've been on that outskirt. And this is a time where we can take time to build that relationship and to draw in a little closer. I know a lot of families are choosing certain people that they'll get together with. I know in our family, we're like, okay, because it's been summer in Michigan, now we're into fall, but we can do things outside. We have fire pits, we can do picnic tables and set those up. We keep some distance. And this is kind of our group of people that we do those things with. So those relationships are really growing and deepening and strengthening. So I don't think we have to be fully isolated, but maybe if we talk with our kids about the idea of going, okay, so some of these relationships are going to be different for a while, but where can you grow and deepen and further a relationship? 
Yeah, that's, I think that's an excellent point. One of the things I've been watching with some degree of humor is some of the um, uh, news reports I see about what's how dating is changing this time. And, and yeah. one of the side effects has been people talk more, <laughs> like they actually share more. There's less focus on getting together physically and more on getting to know each other. So there are some interesting silver linings to this, to this time, I think. And, and that's a point too, is looking for those silver linings, acknowledging them, talking about the silver linings. There's a lot of complaining through pure complaining and through humor, but I think it is important for our mental health to have those positive thoughts and those positive associations with even things that are happening now, because so much good can happen. You know, even kittens and puppies can happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I think a silver lining also for, the men for mental health is this idea that this pandemic gives us a new kind of permission to talk about anxiety and depression and fear and uncertainty and grief and, you know, all of the things we're all experiencing. Um, you know, this is a time where we're all uh, experiencing mental health issues and challenges. And so I think we have an opportunity here, you know, to, to, to take, you know, big steps forward relative to stigma and shame and prejudice that, you know, have historically, um, you know, held back discussions and help seeking uh, for mental health challenges. That is so true, John. And I think so in the show notes under the resources mentioned in the show, we'll have the, the national resource lines, the text line and the phone number that you mentioned, uh, the couple of shows that I mentioned, but we'll put, I'll put in some episodes on some of these other topics. So we'll put in a couple on anxiety and we've done grief. And so we'll put those in there because sometimes we don't know how to talk about that. Those are subjects that have been a little taboo in our society. And I do love that those conversations are opening up. Yes. Well, I just want to thank you, John and Janice, for taking the time to join us today and for sharing your insights to help us parents through all of this. For anyone who would like more information, what website would you like them to go to? To jedfoundation.org. So we'll also have that link in the show notes, everyone. John and Janice, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thank, thank you. you. Have a great day. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. If you enjoyed the podcast, then the most important thing that you can do is share it with another parent so they can get something out of it as well. Then if you also rate and review it on your podcast app, that helps parents find it. Remember to visit MightyParenting.com, grab that free email on how to talk to your teen, and remember that if you're here, if you're listening, you are a mighty parent, and you've got this. I will see you next week. <laughs>